0: Welcome to the RPG Bot Podcast. I'm Admiral Akbar, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody, and also Ash Eli.
1: It's a trap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right,
2: all right, Tyler, what's happening? <laughs> all right, uh, hey, hey, real quick, guys, uh, roll me a dexterity save.
1: Ah, uh, I don't have my dice. Oh no! <laughs> oh, quick, make I've up a number. Uh, s- hold on, seventeen. Hold hold okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, great. uh Ash,
2: with a click and a whir, the floor beneath you suddenly gives way, swinging open on an ancient hinge, and you plummet into the darkness. Disoriented by the sudden drop, you reach out, desperate for a sudden handhold, but find only smooth, slick stone. The bottom of the pit trap rises, all too quickly to meet you. Randall, you take a cautious stride forward, and then another and then you freeze as the ball of your foot presses further into the floor than expected. There's faint creak as you gently shift your weight and look down and see Ash falling into a pit trap.
1: Sounds like, sounds like my luck. I know. <laughs> my bad, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Randall. Thanks. Next time, watch where
2: I'm stepping. <laughs> so so that was simple pit trap off of describe uh we love describe describe.com slash rpg bot uh so hey today we're talking about traps uh i love traps i love traps in D &D, and pathfinder and dungeon fantasy games in general but they are a topic that's really hard to do and i snuck in that description there because it's fun to read from describe and i like them a lot
0: no, perfect. Okay, so before we hop into
2: this, I feel like we should talk about what is a trap. Well, uh, so a trap is a bit like a puzzle, except sometimes it stabs you.
1: That checks out. Actually, that's fairly. To add to it, it's a surprise puzzle. <laughs> a Puzzle you weren't expecting. I mean, I, okay,
0: All right, so let's let's talk through it. Right, like sometimes it's it's much less of a puzzle and just more of an ouch, right? You know, it it was a two-step process. I should not have put my foot there. Now
2: the world sucks. (laughs) Yep. You open a box, sharp jigsaw pieces fly at you. Yeah, much worse. It's not a terrible puzzle. Not a terrible trap. Sorry, it's a terrible puzzle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why am I bleeding? You said this is appropriate for six-year-olds. Ah! (laughs) Because life is pain, and now you need to know. Lesson lesson learned. (laughs) Awesome. So
0: the the folks who play pf2 at home uh you'll be aware right pf2 i think does a good job of like distinguishing distinguishing between hazards and traps where a hazard is something that's naturally occurring and a trap is something that you know somebody you know somebody with sentience put this thing here to ruin your day so right like i'm hiking down and like i hit a tree and when i hit the tree a bunch of boulders fall on top of me and i die that's a hazard all right I'm walking down like a hallway, and I hit a tree in the hallways who put this here, and then all of a sudden boulders fall onto me. That was a trap, and somebody wanted to die.
2: And yep. really, the difference there is just intent, because either way, it's rocks fall, everyone dies. Which
1: is never a good trap or hazard to use. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: It's like, I, I want you to roll me a 100 d6. Oh, you don't have that many? Well, Google. <laughs> and then... And then there's Tomb of Annihilation, where the premise is, oops, all traps, all time, and <laughs> you're dead if you fail. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the things that I want to do, so with this Pathfinder distinction, distinction between hazards and traps, like in Tomb of Annihilation, how many of them are proper traps? Are there any actual hazards where it's like, you know what, nobody put
1: that waterfall there to kill you. It's just, you know, you're an idiot. <laughs> well, the question is, since the Sererak designed the whole dungeon, You could kind of see, like, even natural hazards, he probably, like, he designed the dungeon in such a way to ferret you into hazards. I knew all those banana peels would be there. (laughs) Yes. Well,
2: uh, a Rack is also the the lich behind the Tomb of Horrors, so, you know, very on brand for him. Yeah, famously, kind of a jerk.
0: Mm. Yeah. All right, okay, so I'm a DM, and I'm debating about whether or not I should include traps (sighs) in my session why would
2: I want to use traps? Uh, because you don't like your players. That's fair. That's end of episode. Yeah, just no. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. Go on. Yes. Uh, so traps present a danger for your players beyond just combat. So, like, you generally can't stab your way through a trap. You can't fireball a trap to make it go away. I mean, sometimes you can if the trap is made of wood. What do I? Know? It's a fantastic but... coincidence when you can. Yes, <laughs> um, it's just a different variety of challenge that you can present to your players, and you can use them both in and out of combat. So, like, it's it's a very versatile tool beyond just I need to do some resource attrition. Here's zombies or something. I don't.
1: Know. I think also it's it creates a sense of danger in the um in the dungeon because uh, especially for certain groups. If, if the only danger of the dungeon, uh, you know, classic in the classic D&D description of a dungeon, doesn't have to be like an actual dungeon, um, but in a dungeon, uh, if you just put enemies there, then players are going to find ways to optimize it, they're going to find ways to avoid it, and it won't feel, you know, like it's very threatening. Uh, but when you put in the unexpected, that's where uh players start to treat it a little bit more cautiously and uh where the unexpected and in like most things in D&D some of the most fun parts are the unexpected part.
2: Yeah, I love a good surprise as a player. So sometimes like a well-placed trap uh something that's going to surprise me like that, it really can be a lot of fun for the players even when it's something, you know, it's probably going to do me some hit point damage.
0: Yeah. One of the big reasons I like having traps in a session is that the trap gives an opportunity for passive skills to matter in a way that in a lot of other places. They, they matter, and they matter for storytelling, but they don't necessarily matter for resource attrition. Versus a trap, you might give the benefit of, okay, you have really high passive perception. You detect the trap and avoid it for the entire party, and I'm rewarding you for making the investment to have that. Vice versa, if nobody was able to hit that passive check and nobody thought to look for it, uh, that trap can really cross everyone and make them kind of think twice about where they're headed. But actually, that kind of leads into a negative. Are we already to talk about some of the negatives of traps? <laughs> sure. mm-hmm. In the in the compliment sandwich that this is going to be, that's literally all the positivity <laughs> we have to offer.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, Yeah, sometimes traps make players feel very smart because they notice the trap ahead of time. Their character is very high passive perception. So yeah, those passive skills really come in. Um, and that makes players feel good. Like, I built a character who is prepared for this. Or like, I as a player thought like, something feels iffy here i'm gonna poke stuff with a stick until i find the trap i'm like yeah player feels really good um but if your players aren't prepared for that um uh, having a trap seem to come from nowhere can really feel just like the dm is saying like uh i have decided that you take 2d6 poison damage no reason just here you go
1: yeah it can feel like a gotcha moment if it doesn't if it isn't pulled off well where it's just like you guys are doing too well, you're gonna take some damage um, <laughs> also you and, lose two spell slots' because <laughs> I hate you <laughs> you're a wizard and you're ruining everything so uh, yeah um but also uh there's the idea of and I know it bothers a lot of players is the idea of being uh kind of um screwed over by random chance. Uh, it's why one D and D, and it's a conver- is a debate that's currently happening. Uh, why one D and D is moving away from critical hits for DMs because players don't like de- a lot. Uh, so I'm, so I will say some players, not all players, but some players don't like being critted on by monsters and having their life or death be random chance. Um, and especially when you're talking about traps that do a lot of damage or can one shot you. Um, which is one of the things uh, that people don't like about uh, you know, Tomb of Annihilation is that uh, a lot of the traps there can just easily kill you in one shot if you fail a check, which can feel bad. It's like I put a lot of investment in my character, and I rolled bad once. I've been rolling well the whole other time. I rolled bad once, and now I'm just dead. That's it? That's all I get? Okay. <laughs> so uh, trap. that's what makes trap design, I think, particularly difficult. You want it to be threatening enough that players feel like they have to be on their guard, but you don't want to make it too threatening to the point where it feels like the player's actions don't really matter in the long run.
0: Yeah, I think so. We talk about making sure that every time the player's role, the role matters, right? And this can go wrong two ways for traps. One way it can go wrong is we talked about the resource attrition a second ago, but realistically, if they're not resource constrained, if they're just going to be able to take a short rest, roll some hit dice, and move on with the adventure, uh, you know that that trap that caused like two d six damage to my level six adventuring party, it really didn't matter. So you kind of slowed down the game a little bit. Maybe you got to add like a little bit of lore, and if if that's your purpose, I think that makes sense. But if your goal here really is resource attrition, unless you're immediately shoving them into combat, ultimately that trap probably wasn't doing you any good. And then to flip it on its head, we, we don't want to live the ultimate consequence, right? We don't want to leave death, life and death, for your characters, To, oh, you screwed up one perception check. Now you're dead. Sorry, just grab another character, pull it out. (laughs) You know, that's equally arbitrary and punishing to our players. And ultimately, we want folks to have fun. I'll I'll ask you a question. This is kind of a sidebar, but it's something that I think is important in this. When you are DMing GMing, how do you handle, do you you want your characters to tell you, I rolled a, a 22 on an inside check. To see if this trap wants to kill me. That doesn't make any sense. Just come with me for a second.
2: <laughs> and and uh, like, how do you handle that as a DM? Your players try to incite the trap. Okay, okay, that was that was a terrible
0: example. Let me take take a step back. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what I'm driving yes, at, right? The trap <laughs> wants to hurt you. Yeah, it doesn't like you at all. As as much as no. this brick with <laughs> nails in it. Yeah. No. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I I was joking on this. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that this makes me think of. A problem we can have if your players are anticipating traps in your dungeon is that every waking moment, like I'm walking down the hallway, as I walk down the hallway, I roll to see if I find a trap. Oh, we approach a door and the door shut. I roll to check the knob and check the the hinges and I check all the creases to see if I find a trap. Once we open the door, I check the tiles beyond to see if I detect a trap, right? It can ruin the ability to do storytelling. And I feel like it... it makes it difficult as a dmgm to add a trap even once for fear that your players are basically constantly going to be looking for traps so one of the things that i love to do here is as as a gm whether if it's in a longer campaign or if it's in a one shot just being very like forthright at the very beginning hey i'm going to experiment with traps in this place and then at the end of it when you're done with that calling it like hey I'm, I'm over the traps thing. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> with, with the idea being like letting them party on, if you have somebody who's really like constantly doing this to the point where it kind of slows down the storytelling um, for, and, and we're going to talk about simple tracks and complex traps in a moment. For simple traps, I would even say telling, telling your player characters, unless you're investigating a specific object, all trap checks are going to come from passives. So it's your range to the object, and it's your passive. I'm going to assign a DC to it. Let's see how it goes. I think that can still be great storytelling as long as you allow a saving throw for a character to not be impacted or not be impacted
2: as heavily from the trap. That definitely makes sense. And yeah, rolling constantly to look for traps is absolutely going to slow down the game. Like older editions of D&D... That was very much like the expected playstyle. Like, Tomb of Horrors is such an iconic example, but to survive the dungeon, you have to play that insane playstyle. Like, you tap every tile on the floor with your 10 foot pole from a safe distance. Like, anything, literally anything, no matter how suspicious it is, you investigate it very carefully before you touch it. You poke it with a stick. Like, you detect magic. Like, you do all those things. Like, that is very much an old school playstyle. People don't play like that anymore because it's
1: boring. Um, on the flip side, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Um, I, I think having more roles can also be kind of a good thing. Uh, you just have to use it effectively. So when uh, if it, for me, I put a lot of lore and history into the dungeons I create. Um, so when players roll those investigation checks, even if there isn't a trap, uh, they don't get nothing for that check. It's not like, you see nothing. Instead, uh, so I'm like, okay, well, you find this mosaic, and the mosaic like tells you a little bit of history about the, this culture's relationship with the gods, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, or you find uh, an urn that has like a cool object or something. So I think, um, in a in a way, it kind of encourages players to just, like, uh, explore a room that they may otherwise not have. Because they enter in a room, and it's like... Uh, you describe, as like, this is a pretty t- standard, typical, like, empty room. There's maybe an urn in the corner. And most players, if they're not keyed up, they would just be like, okay, we're going to go to the next room. Um, but with this, you can explore that room a little bit more. But, yes, I do agree that it can slow the 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 session down, but sometimes that can be conducive to more role play and some more interesting discovery.
0: I think I really like the idea of that. The idea of like I can reroute these perception or investigation roles to instead offer lore or offer like even if it's improv, just a, a quick cute note about like something, you know, tapestry hanging on the wall could kind of be fun and it could tell the story of where they are and what they're doing. I I love that. How do you handle if they're literally like, you know, I'm rolling an investigation trap or I'm yeah, perfect. I'm rolling an investigation check <laughs> looking for traps. It's like you, you find a painting. That's Well well I mean you could say like in, uh, like, in your well, thorough uh, endeavor to find something uh... hidden under these tiles. You really admire the artisan work of the folks who made these tiles.
1: Well, I mean you can't it's you can't do it all the time. But okay. like one of the things you can do is like you you try to narrow what that person is exactly investigating like if you just, if they just say i'm going to look for traps i you, my first question is like okay what part are you checking for for traps and they'll Tra- be like are- i'm going to check <laughs> i'm going to check this statue this statue looks a little bit you know wonky and i'll be like you don't find any traps but you do find that the masonry work you know is uh, uh ind- indicative of a uh, of this 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 empire this classical era that you know, that you've been reading about That has like that culture only uses this type of hey hey, team, so that they still haven't. The
0: the GM gave me something really spotty on this. I think it's a trap. I
1: didn't say it was a perfect system. (laughs)
0: Okay, awesome. No, I do. I do like that. I think that's actually fantastic advice. Basically, you have lore. You have a story you want to tell, and so use these checks to burn a bit of this. To go ahead and give that story that you're trying to tell. I think 100% that makes perfect sense.
2: Yeah, a lot of published adventures famously have like a ton of lore in those sidebars, especially if they're from Paizo. Just so much lore in those sidebars that you'll never get to read. So like, yeah, if your players fail a check to find traps, it's like, uh, yeah, you learned something neat. You're going to feel good about this. You're going to fall in that pit trap, but you're going to feel good about having learned something first, and then you're going to fall in yeah. the pit trap.
1: Exactly. this is cool art (laughs) (laughs) it's painted in the classical style what did he say I don't know
0: go down there let's see
2: (laughs) well hey why don't we talk about some different kinds of traps Speaking, speaking of pit traps and such so traps are many and varied like yeah you've got your classic pit trap that is perhaps the simplest trap sometimes there's stuff across the top of it sometimes there's not but it's still a pit and that is dangerous uh so so traps i really
0: love the dichotomy that you're offering we have pit traps and we have not pit traps
1: <laughs> i mean that, it's, that's 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 yeah that's that's accurate. the universe of yeah. traps <laughs> no
2: it nails it it's hundred percent look there are traps that'll drop you in holes there are traps that'll hit you with something it's basically those two things when you think about it maybe maybe like a few more so um actually one of the things that was really interesting as
0: i was doing research for the episode uh so both pf2 and 5e kind of give us this idea of simple traps and complex traps so PF2 also has the idea of it's like, okay, but you know, technically it's not a trap unless it's from this region of you know, pain. But um, <laughs> ultimately what it comes down to is we have simple traps and simple hazards. And they, they give a simple trap is basically like, and Tyler, I think you nailed this, stimulus response. Right? Something triggers it. When it is triggered, something happens. And because it's a trap or a hazard, that's something that happens, usually bad. Usually. Usually. It's like
1: you get hit by an arrow and you heal for one d. It was a a healing arrow. It took (laughs) you right in the
0: thigh. (laughs) (laughs) So there's some commonality in the definition that they offer for traps. So level and threat, the trigger, the effect, and the countermeasure. In PF2, they don't use a fancy word like countermeasure
2: because, you know, they're they're to the people. They call it disabling the trap. (laughs) Same idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty much the same across Dungeon Fantasy games as far as I've seen. Like you'll in games where there is a level, the trap will have a level which tells you like where is it appropriate to use this. In games where it isn't, it's like eh, good luck. Hope you live. And then yeah, there will be some description of what the trap does and how to disable it. So like uh uh if it's if it's like a arrows shoot from the walls, either you stop stepping on that that pressure plate, or you just plug the holes in the walls or something like if it's a, a the room fills with water trap you can just drain the water i guess uh grow gills uh, <laughs> just scrape those uh those dry leaves off of the gutter so it drains out like you got to do that annual maintenance on
1: your dungeon man or everything's gonna flood yeah or there's the traps where that are that instant kill you and the countermeasure is have you tried not sucking so much? <laughs> countermeasure uh, <laughs> roll new character <laughs> 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 okay,
2: real real quick. All right, imagine you're in a hallway. Mosaic on the left side. Mosaic on the right side. Floor mostly plain. Um, on the opposite end of the hallway, on the left, there's a doorway. Doorway is full of mist. Uh, back wall of the of the hallway is a large green demonic face carved out of stone, mouth open completely perfectly black void in its mouth. What are the traps in the room?
1: Uh obviously the mouth shoots fire. Okay. Uh, or, or the, balls. Uh, <laughs> or balls. Fireballs? Something like that or just that. other balls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh the um which are probably triggered by a pressure plate. Um the door has that mist that can like, I don't know, poison you or gas you or something. Uh, and the mosaic is just so beautiful that you are just trapped exploring. its glory. I'm,
0: I'm betting the mosaic has to be shooting, like, poison darts back and forth, but, like, the other wall catches the darts as they go through, so it can auto-reload. <laughs> Good engineering. <laughs> just just yeah. recycle those That's darts. Better. Okay, you're, you're talking about the fog better that, like, melts your face. Uh, I was thinking about it over the weekend. Acid rain has not really been the issue that I was led to believe it was going to be when I was
2: <laughs> growing up. well uh, cap and trade on sulfur in the sky you know and so here we are the system works but yeah this fog cloud i agree it's bad news and i don't want to be involved in it so uh so that is the the true entrance to the tomb of horrors the fog cloud teleports you to one of the rooms in the middle of the tomb the in a good way demonic mouth um yeah i mean it's a tomb of horrors. so no but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair <laughs> um, it teleports you into the tomb the demonic mouth is a sphere of annihilation anything magical passes through it safely and is dropped into the room that you teleport into from that uh that foggy doorway and i'm probably getting some of this wrong um anything non-magical such as people is disintegrated immediately uh the safest way into the tomb is actually the pit trap that you walk into on the way up to the demon face, which has a secret door into the tomb at the bottom. Nice.
1: Tomb this is why people War. don't like tomb of this is why people don't like tomb of horror
2: <laughs> 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 I mean yeah it, 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 it's uh it, it's a little dated. okay I want to see if
0: i'm actually learning my d and d history. Is that the pit trap that Milf got stuck in? i
2: believe so actually yeah the um the
1: excuse me did you say milf <laughs> MILF. milf the uh, male uh, elf oh, yeah Melf, gotcha. the male elf of
2: massive milf's acid arrow fame uh luke gygax's character as a child yeah there's a secret door at the bottom of that pit <laughs> trap that he couldn't that find MILF... exactly <laughs> yeah so
1: Traps <laughs> They they knew what the way they were doing when they called him Mel. Uh, they knew what they it, were doing. I mean <laughs> from I mean, what uh... I understand,
2: he was like single digits old, so he may it, not
1: have. It was also probably
2: Maybe.
0: 30 years ago.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, so this room is a great example of a bunch of simple traps used to do different things. Like the pit trap on the floor. Is there to like, hey, you weren't paying attention in a place that's very clearly dangerous. So like, here's something very basic to punish you. The um, the demon face with the spooky mouth that uh, like it, it's a sphere of annihilation. Nothing goes in or nothing comes back out, and that's very clearly there to be like, okay, if I stick a stick in, the end of my stick is gone. I'm not gonna put my body parts in there, and yet so many players are just like. My stick went in. My stick disintegrated. I'm going to put my head in. Here's what I'll say. So you
0: should players. only lose one party member to, to the Sphere of Annihilation. Boy, let me tell you the
2: story about the head of Vecna. <laughs>
0: uh, okay, that's
2: Yeah uh, Give me oh, ten seconds. My. All right. Hand and eye of Vecna. You can take off your hand or your eye. Put, put on the hand and eye of Vecna. Makes it super powerful. Right. Uh, a classic joke is someone finds the head of Vecna. Everyone in the party is like, okay, I'm going to decapitate myself, and then you, party, put the head on me. Doesn't work on the first guy. Doesn't work on the second guy. Doesn't work on the third guy, because they're still dumb enough to do it at that point. And the fourth guy says, I'm going home. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, Boy. I'd like to give players a little bit more credit than that. (laughs) (laughs) You shouldn't. (laughs) Have you met the average player? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You guys haven't played with my players. That's (laughs) fair. Because they're wonderful. My players. Yes. yes. My players uh, have a tendency to figure out my every deception and it drives me crazy. (laughs) I kind of crave that. Like, just
2: players that I can push and be like, yeah, look at you guys. Good for you. (laughs) He's got to ride the chaos. (laughs) No, so.
0: I guess I want to hit on this. So you describe these traps. And so Xanathar's Guide to Everything gives us examples of traps. There's this idea of like you know, simple traps revisited, complex traps revisited. One of the things that they called out that I really liked is ultimately when it comes to simple traps, these stimulus and response traps, why why are they there? As a DM or GM, what is the story that we're trying to tell that demands that I have a trap in this location? They give four examples, and I actually think these four examples probably cover most of what we're trying to do. One can be to alarm, all right? So I'm a DM or a GM. Um, I, I put it here, and when they step on it, a bunch of glass breaks, and it rings out to the point where it deafens the party for you know a, a brief moment, maybe two rounds, or maybe just say a brief moment, because that's simpler in this case. What you can do with that is you can rush more creatures out for them to fight immediately. And then you can make it evident that, hey, if you had actually managed to not step on that plate and crack it, they would have taken these creatures two by two by two and the combat would have been a lot easier. The resource attrition would have been uh, less significant.
1: Yeah, I think you can use traps for uh, simple traps for a variety of purposes. Uh, obviously, one is challenge and danger. Another thing that you can do is world building and storytelling. Uh, like how a trap is designed can tell you a lot about the person who made it. So like that trap by Serarak is it clearly tells you that the reason why magic items go through unscathed while non magic stuff isn't is that Serarak ex- expects people to walk try to walk through the orb so he kills them but then he can take their magic items for himself. Uh, I it, it related to this. I had uh, my party went through a kobold cave and the kobolds thought the most dangerous animal in their area was a crocodile. So they put a crocodile on a swing trap, essentially, to try and (laughs) attack people. But because they are dumb, and they were just like, we'll just set it here and it'll work, they didn't feed the crocodile. So the crocodile just threw... I described them breaking a a bind, and a crocodile skeleton just swung (laughs) harmlessly at them. (laughs) And smashed into the wall. so... I can tell you a lot about the, about the characters that are making so it. Give
0: me a nature check. Okay, nature check. If you reassembled the skeleton, it used to be a crocodile.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just a pile of bones. They were very confused. They're like, what just happened? Like,
0: okay, what? I can honestly see that being part where, like, as a storyteller, like, you put it out there, it's like, this is going to be so great later. And then you forget to explain it. So two years later, they're like, I don't know, just your bones at us. <laughs> real weird um but no so uh Xanathar gives us three other reasons so alarming is great ash i do agree like just tell a story like at that point it's almost not even a trap it's just like you triggered a note mm-hmm. <laughs> the
2: plot mm-hmm. happens
0: <laughs> and maybe next time you should be more careful so it stops happening Um, they they give an example of restraining uh, and so a pit trap could be that right like where sure you fall into the the pit trap and in this case there isn't a door at the bottom to escape so now the party has to help you get out here's what i'll say for this once i think that's interesting generally i think you're potentially only slowing down your plot you're slowing down your ability to tell story if the only thing you're going to do is make them Pull out a rope that you knew they had, lower the rope down, roll me an athletics check. Okay, you failed. Roll me another athletics check. Okay, you passed. Now you're out of the pit and we'll keep going. That sucks. Like, that's bad storytelling. I, I don't think it's particularly interesting. But in the middle of them trying to let you climb up the rope, some creatures came in and they started blasting. Like, that's, that's interesting, right? Now it's like, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. hey, you know how concentration spells work for, for spells? I'm going to need you to roll a concentration check check to keep holding the rope while your friend climbs up. And I'm going to make this take two rounds because it was a super deep pit. Like, that's interesting. That's fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and, and, you know, uh, maybe you get to kill everyone. That's great. <laughs>
2: Yes, as a DM, that feels very good to kill everyone, <laughs> except for that guy in the pit trap. He's now a captive. Yeah. He, they <laughs> just holding yeah. a rope, both ends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think you can use traps as catalysts for something more interesting for sure. But as part of that, should we talk about complex traps and how they are different? Yeah, definitely. So complex traps are more fun let's They're say not as simple, simple trap.
2: <laughs> not as simple yes so your simple trap is like your basics so your uh your pit trap your uh door that teleports you somewhere your sphere of annihilation that people should be smart enough not to stick their arms into your pit trap i said that already uh but it's worth reiterating um complex traps are something that's going to do potentially multiple things or that's going to play out over multiple rounds like a very easy example is the classic room fills with water trap like that is probably as simple as you can get and still call it a complex trap
0: so yeah it's, it's worth describing this and I, I feel like xanathar's actually did a fantastic job here
2: so we still have
0: level and threat like we did with a simple trap we still have a trigger like we did with a simple trap. And there are going to be countermeasures, and the critical difference is that with our countermeasures, you're not going to make one skill check or take one action and disarm or counter this trap. It's going to take multiple skill checks or multiple actions over the course of turns. The, the three things that you add when you think about a complex trap are the active elements of the trap, the dynamic elements of the trap, and the constant elements of the trap. Uh, And so a good example would be, like, let's say, uh, and and this is from Xanathars, let's say at the exit of the room is, like, a stone of fear. So anyone who ends their turn within 30 feet of that stone uh, has to make a check or uh, be frightened for the, you know, until the, the end of their next turn, right? In this case, it's even hard to approach the thing that you need to approach to finally stop the trap, potentially. So that's a good example of the constant. The dynamic is, and this is a good example of the water trap where, like, my room is filling with water. Every moment it is getting more dangerous. When it's a foot tall, I'm fine because I'm, you know, I'm way taller than that. I'm five feet tall because everything's five feet tall. Um, actually, can it only be a foot tall? I guess it has to be five feet tall. Is that, uh, how do we handle this in 5B? Anyway, okay. The water, <laughs> the, you know, the room is filling with water. I'm running out of uh, space for breathable air. And therefore, this is getting dynamically more difficult. Another example out of Xanathar, so when you first described the entrance to the Tomb of Horrors, I was imagining uh, a stone ball, like, falling out, and then portals, because this is literally a trap that's described in Xanathars, where it's accelerating, and it actually reaches a peak velocity. And so the dynamics of it is, at every turn, this thing deals more damage and more damage and more damage if you get in its way. Got it. And then finally, the last thing worth mentioning is the active element. And this is the critical thing for complex traps that I think make them really interesting. So the active element is, we're going to roll initiative. And the trap gets to go in initiative order. And maybe it only goes once in the round. Maybe it goes twice in the round. If you hate your players, maybe it goes four times in a round.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like uh, the infamous spinning blades trap that Xanathar's has. Which um goes on a track. Oh yeah. Uh, do you guys know that one? Yeah.
2: yeah. I I mean that's a classic in fantasy. It's in Skyrim, mm. it's in Oblivion, it's in like books. Yeah, like like helicopter blades pop out of the floor, they spin, they move, they go to the other end, and they go down. Or they come back and they go down. Either way. Spinning blades, they hurt. Mm. Just a lot. <laughs> you know, and, and famously, don't put your hands in a blender, kids. Famously. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, so the idea that, like, the room is filling with gas, and then at initiative 20, the gas ignites every round, right? So I take kaboom damage, and I don't like it. And then maybe on initiative 10, everybody has to make a check to see if they are incapacitated from the density of the gas. And so it's basically, okay, the gas builds up, the gas builds up. Eventually, it builds up so much that it ignites, There is a fireball in the room, and then it is void of gas, and then the gas starts to rebuild. Okay. So if that's your trap, you've got a fireball on 20, you've got gas, you know, potentially harming the characters on 10, and everybody else gets to go in their turn. And so now, instead of this being the way we talked about simple tracks, right? Stimulus, response. Now, what we have is everybody's in initiative order. The problem is not going to go away, and we have to solve the problem. And so, in that way, these complex traps quite often, feel a lot like you're solving a puzzle that's stabbing you back.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's, that, that's where they can be a lot of fun. Um, uh, one of the more unique puzzles, like uh, it's kind of like a mind screw puzzle. Uh, I believe it's in Curse of Strahd where the group is in a room, the door is shut, and a timer goes up on, uh, over the, the door and it starts at 10 and it goes slowly down. Uh, and all that's in the room is a pedestal with a button. And uh, uh, so basically, every time uh, the players start to freak out, they push the button and it resets the timer to ten. <laughs> and they they keep they keep they keep like scrambling to try and find a way out of here and keep pushing the button to reset it to ten. And they can't figure it out and they don't know what's going to happen. And finally, just out of curiosity, they let it go to zero and the door's open. <laughs> 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 which is, is which beautiful. can piss off your players, but it can also be very cool. <laughs> is this,
0: yeah, the door opens and might cut. The door opens and what? And <laughs> <In> what? <laughs>
2: That's it. That's what? it. Wasn't that You're one? in
1: the castle now. <laughs> Wasn't that one of the
2: reasons uh, Xanathar is listed to use traps? Is just to delay the players. Like, how long are the characters spending? Like, 10 seconds at a time running down that clock and then pushing the button like that. That's going to buy you a few minutes where the, like your enemies are potentially running around getting ready. No, I think that's
0: perfect. Yeah. And, and exactly right. So that, uh, delay is one of the four reasons that are given. The fourth we haven't talked about yet is slay. That's damage. And I feel like we've covered that pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I'll say for that one. Okay. So that trap in particular is just like, you know, chef's kiss. Beautiful. Because everybody wants to be clever. Everybody wants to solve it. They're doing all these checks, and it's like, nah, just, you know, let time be. (laughs) More generally, I I do think delaying, like, traps where the purpose is to delay the characters, again, unless you can really motivate the impact. Like, there was, you know, your quarry got away because you were in the middle of a a chase, and you got caught in a delay trap. That's interesting. But just like, Mm -hmm. uh, it took time, and so it's tomorrow morning now.
1: Or it could be that there's a ritual being done deeper in the dungeon that you're trying to stop. Exactly. Every tra- every delay trap that you're in is costing you more and more time. Yeah. Like
0: you, you see a soul fly into the air, and you're like, no, that was another soul. We only have four more. <laughs> yeah. A torch firework, I don't know. I prefer souls, but that's yeah. just me.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's the appeal of uh, escape rooms <laughs> in real life. Yeah, the soul is just climbing uh, out of... <laughs> yeah well no no, no. <laughs> i mean maybe kind of uh, but uh no um the uh, escape rooms are kind of just timed delay traps essentially.
0: well 100 100 100 and like what is the i'm actually really glad you bring that up what is the joy of doing an escape room it is the fact that you know you are on a timer And you have to work against it. And I think that can be a lot of fun in tabletop. And I think both simple traps, which seek to delay you, and complex traps uh, can be really interesting in that environment. What I would say, and perhaps it's a whole other episode, how do you put that timer on your players to make them feel the time pressure to deliver on this?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was just going to say that seems like a really good topic for another episode is uh, keeping track of time and how to make time more urgent because a lot of times it feels just like nebulous
0: yeah I feel like I've heard Tyler and Random say awesome things about Red Hand of Doom where time (laughs) time was ongoing and you ran out of time
2: and you also died yeah yeah Red (laughs) Hand of Doom is a great example because it's like these things will happen on these days beyond the start of the campaign you can delay them by doing certain things but like if you just go muck around in the woods for a week like you've lost a week of stopping the bad guys and the bad guys haven't stopped so yeah but like buying time depending on your scale can be very effective i, I i've talked about tomb of horrors we've talked about these complex traps and how it can be really fun to solve them like that that button in curse of straw great example um, so there's a concept of a dungeon that is primarily populated by these kind of traps and it's frequently referred to as a funhouse dungeon quote unquote and it's basically like there's nothing living here there's nobody here for you to come and bother. It, like, the, the dungeon is there. It is there for you, at your leisure, to go in and be killed, maimed, delayed, captured, etc. by the dungeon. It, it's a meat grinder, essentially. It is a fun house. You go in, there's crazy things to look at. You might see some traps. You might get teleported places. You might get dropped into holes. Like, And Tomb of Horrors is, like, the, the iconic funhouse dungeon like if you read the entire tomb of horrors adventure there's two maybe three combat encounters in the entire thing and like it it is enough stuff to get you through like a full character level so in fifth edition that's generally like 20 to 30 encounters depending on what level you're at but like yeah tomb of horrors is like now you're you're gonna go in at level x and come out at level x plus one you might fight something.
1: Yeah, and also uh, Funhouse Dungeons have the tendency to be kind of like big-budget dungeons. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, like, like you're in an amusement park. Like, one of the ones from Tomb of Fours that I remember is that uh, those two rooms that are, like, on a clock that rotate, Do you know what I'm talking about? I haven't read Tomb of
2: Annihilation yet.
1: Yeah, so there's two rooms and uh, they sort of rotate around each other and like trying to wrap your mind around how you're supposed to like figure your way out is, uh, yeah, it's just, funhouse Dungeons I feel like are less about, this is a practical dungeon that someone designed to keep someone out. It's more like, This is mostly just designed to make it fun for players and not necessarily any sort of like real logical reason why someone would build this. It really is an escape room with meta
0: for the party. We talked about this in the puzzles episode the idea like you might have puzzles straight up for the party. You might have it where like it's a little bit of meta for the party, but the character skills come into place. And you might have a puzzle where you do everything with the characters. A lot of these fun house dungeons, like you as the individual, have to be saying i do this i check this i take these actions like this is how i avoid the death because probably the dm is
2: not going to let you save this on character skills alone so let's talk about traps for players a little bit because you know we love to talk about players on this podcast and on rpg bot and like traps are generally the most fun for the dm because the players go into a place that the dm created and the dm is free to then populate that place with traps But you as a player might look at traps and be like, these are neat. I kind of want to play with this. What can I do? So first thing, like, we're just going to talk real quick about what you as a player can do to protect yourself from traps in dungeon fantasy games. Like number one thing. And Randall, you hit on this earlier. Your passive skills does have to be good. Like someone in the party has to be good at passive perception and 5e. In in PF2, somebody in the party has to have a high perception score and like you have the perception DC and that'll help you a little bit. Um, and then your downtime activities or not downtime activities, uh sorry, exploration activities. You want to use the search activity to, you know, look for traps and stuff like that. Try and keep yourself from walking into those pit traps. And then calling back to like that first edition play style, get yourself a 10 foot pole and just poke everything. Just poke everything with a stick. It's 10 feet long. You, like, grab it way at the end, and you just, like, tap, 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 tap. Like, in-game, it's gonna take forever. Out of game, you just tell your DM, I poke everything in this room with a 10-foot pole, and if your DM says, Aha, you have stepped on a pit trap, you say, No, 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 no. I whacked that with a 10-foot pole, man.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Promise. Well, and then, (laughs) bluntly, like... That's where your DM or your gym might just say, okay, you know what? No more traps. I, just, I give up on traps. You trigger them all. We don't ever find any. and Traps are boring, and I hate you. <laughs> That's possible. Yeah. I, I, I will say, like, I'll, I'll, I'll paint this in the guise of helping players play better. Put your passive skills person, maybe not at the front of the party if they're not super sturdy, but close enough that they're likely to see the problem for the people who have lesser skills in their passive perception, for instance. Uh, so this is actually something uh, I got Tyler on in a, in a game fairly recently where there was somebody in the party whose passive perception was literally like, I don't know, 22, something ridiculous uh, for the fairly low level we were playing at. Um, but I, I said that there was like blood on the tile up further. And Tyler's character was like, hell yeah, I want to go see the blood walked straight into the trap, right? So it was an environment where we had had the conversation, there's going to be traps here, there will be traps in the environment, everybody will be looking for it. And I'm looking at the passive skills guy, and the passive skills guy is like, you know what, I'm going to be back here, away from the flood, because what I find is
2: blood begets blood. And-, and 18 wisdom. 18 wisdom, dumb as a sack of hammers. Because, <laughs> because I'm not that smart.
0: <laughs> but no, I think, so as the player putting one of those folks with reasonably high passive skills up front is going to help you avoid these things. And you can, you know, DMs, GMs, try to remember if you're a player and you feel like maybe your DM, GM isn't paying attention to your passives, occasionally just remind them, like, super casual, like, by the way, my, my passive's 18 on this. I don't... Mm. <laughs> uh, and, and vice versa, as the DM or GM, setting up situations where the players want more story,
2: and so the desire for more story leads them into traps. Good times. There are also more countermeasures that you can take, like as a player, knowing that these are options. So my favorite that I I learned from another podcast years and years and years ago, uh, the log rope, quote unquote, Uh, it is a, you take a log, you carve it into a mostly perfect cylinder so that it can roll clean, but you have to have a big enough log that it's going to set off pressure plates. And literally just, you put it on the floor, you roll it down the hall. It sets off pressure plates, it breaks trip wires, like all those things. You call it the log rogue because it is typically the rogue's job to find and disable traps. You're just like, eh, we're just going to trigger all the traps with this piece of wood. Eat. That's a lot cheaper than,
0: like, actually carrying a rogue with you. Less lip, too, so that sounds nice.
1: <laughs> uh, alternatively to that, uh, just give your barbarian a barrel. Perfect. Roll the barrel down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but the barrel's yeah, like slightly curved. Same thing.
2: I don't know, man. Mm. Barrels are expensive.
0: That's that's
2: her. not Really? <laughs> not really.
0: Yeah. Okay, barbarian, sir. I'm gonna let you carry a barrel of mead on our adventure, and the only thing you have to do,
2: occasionally stir it, <laughs> by rolling it down the hallway and having like poison darts shot at it. We don't we don't mention it's, that. It's, just spice <laughs> on that mead. It's gonna be great. <laughs> so, um, you can also feed pets into traps. Uh That's that's. uh Buy yourself a flock of sheep push them into the dungeon uh vegans will not approve of this so uh any vegan listeners i'm sorry Uh, Um 3.x late in the game had a feat which would let you summon a small elemental basically for free so you could summon like oh yes i have a small earth elemental which is a three foot tall creature composed of dirt and stone so you know it's gonna it's gonna set off pit traps it's It's gonna set off your tripwires yeah, exactly. You just like, okay, uh Earth Elemental, walk down that hallway. It's like, cool, man. Walks down the hallway, it's exploded by some trap, and you say, Okay, maybe not that hallway. Earth Elemental, walk down that other hallway. It's like yeah, you just feed pets into traps. In five E, you can cast uh uh conjure woodland beings, like like thirty CR zero cows into the deck. Um, if you want to use traps actively, uh PF two is probably your best bet because there's a whole system of snares it we have a we have an article on snares we'll link it in the show notes uh snares are real cool it's basically like i have an action i'm going to drop a trap it's going to be great excellent system love it a whole lot uh 5e you've got a few items caltrops uh ball bearings nets hunting traps and generally they're they're mostly just kind of annoying for your enemies, but might rob them of an action or some movement. But like, they're generally not going to win a fight like for you like they would be F2. But like, there are a handful of options there. But realistically, you're not going to be like, ah, yes, I as a player, I'm going to start putting poison needles in every door I come across <laughs> because that's how I live. Yeah. <laughs> um the the hunting trap like very easy to overlook in 5e like you throw it on the ground creature walks in they have to spend an action to get out of it and if you can do pretty much anything to rob an enemy of an action it's generally a good idea even if the dc is super easy like it could be they could just automatically succeed on this on the check if they take an action and it's still like i have spent an action they have spent an action but the difference is i have three friends That means I win. If I if I throw bear traps at people and get them stuck in it, does that? Uh, If it takes them an action to get out, so that they can do whatever, yeah, sure, you win. Okay, I'm I'm just thinking about like improvised weapon thrown bear trap. Yeah, and if if you want anything better than that, it's generally going to be spells. You've got alarm to notify when bad guys are coming. You have snare, which like lifts people off the ground upside down, so they're restrained, which is pretty good, but generally not useful in combat. And then, if you have anywhere permanent that you live, the spell guards and wards is basically like, what if I turned this building into a puzzle dungeon? Great.
1: Um, also, if you, as players and DMs, are worried about the DM sort of metagaming around your traps, uh, a way that I can, uh, I've come up with that uh, you can avoid that for both DMs and players is players can say, hey, DM, before this combat begins, I'm setting up a trap, but you don't tell them where. And then the, you can just trigger it when they go on the space that you've decided so then
0: you get to lie i like that
1: yeah yeah uh, if you want to handle
2: that fairly because you're thinking like oh my players are gonna lie to me write it down on an index card set it in the middle of the table upside down and then like the player knows when it goes off so they'll be like aha you have triggered my trap card
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> even if they lie
2: about the spit <laughs> yeah it's like you really did it i sure did <laughs> it took trip. me the entire episode, but I did it. <laughs> oh, I said this wasn't going to happen. Congratulations.
1: I gotta tell you, if my DM asked I'm me to so write that proud one... Of
0: if my DM asked me to do that, what I would write on the card is,
2: that one. <laughs> <laughs> just, just flip it over. <laughs> that one? Great.
1: I got you good. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's the, that. That is a great idea, and it might cause a little bit of laughs for sure.
0: Speaking of trap cards, we have a question of the week this week. <laughs>
1: oh boy. Uh, all right,
0: <laughs> this week our question of the week comes to us from Twitter at Belzer. Does Five E put too much onus on the DM with its dearth of clear rules? Now, I oh I want to I want to pause for a moment. Context clues really helped here. I totally had to go to the Google to remind myself what a dearth was. A, it means a it, lot. Yeah. Well, it means a lot mean to a, me when I read it.
1: <laughs> wow! Get out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, God. So,
2: so I think what what bales bales are beels are. I, how do you pronounce a e? Doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, I think bales what our are. <laughs> bales are, I think what our friend bales are here is saying is. Uh, you know does does 5e put a lot of weight on the dm because there's frequently not a lot of explanation about how to handle specific rules situations. so this is kind of a difference in style between role-playing games so like pathfinder famously has a rule for everything like i want to uh i want to put ground up glass into this person's food and feed them. There's rules for that. There's rules for how to cook it. There's rules for the effect of ground up glass. Like, that, literally a thing. Um, Fifth edition, it's more like, okay, here's the general rules for how you handle these sorts of situations, and then the DM is left to fill in those gaps. A lot of more rules-like systems like just don't cover those things at all, and it's just left to the DM. Like, eh, if it's not in the rules, you're the DM. We trust you to figure
1: it out. I'm gonna get on my soapbox here for a minute. So, prep yourself, um, uh, I yes, I do think it puts too much onus on the DM, and one of my biggest gripes, and I argued with people on RPG bot about this. <laughs> uh, my biggest gripes with one D and D is that I can't crit anymore as a DM uh, and the part of, and, and people are free to disagree with me, and I understand why people disagree with me, but part of it is is that it feels like more and more that they're moving away from the random chance and more of like the DM controls literally everything, which, okay, that's, that's fine if that's the way you want to run your games. But I, as a DM, I have the most fun when I am surprised, both by the dice and by my players. And while having control is good for maybe telling a cohesive story, I feel something is lost when all of the, all of the onus is on one person. All of the control is on one person. And some of the, some of the uh, really, fun, really fun systems uh, really scale back the importance of the DM and make it more of a collaborative sort of storytelling thing. So I've always seen the DM is the person who gives a purpose to the story and is the rules keeper, but they shouldn't be in control of everything. But that's just, I realize that that is a take. <laughs> <And> I realize <laughs> that people are probably going to disagree with me. But that is my take.
0: I'm, I'm going to say something different, but it's like it's not disagreeing. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, I. Yeah. Here's where I land on this. There are a lot of 5e books already. When I'm running a game, I try to think, you know, when we hit those corner cases where it's like, okay, this isn't clearly defined. And in 5e, I don't really feel like it happens that often in my games that I'm like, I don't think there's an answer for this. What, what did we hit the other day? We were trying to figure out. If I, if you were incapacitated while grappling, does the grapple continue? And it's like, okay, by logic, I, I don't think there's anything that says the grappling's broken, but you would, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't even get disadvantage on the next check because being in, or in this case, they were stunned and therefore they had, uh, they would auto, automatically fail dexterity or, or strength saving throws. So this isn't a saving throw, it's an opposed check. So there's literally no penalty to being stunned while grappling in order for the other creature to get out of the grapple. Is that is that right? How do you handle that? Like mm. that, That's probably the first case in a while that I've hit where I'm like, okay, I don't know quite how to handle this. And I said, we're going to let it ride. We're, we're just going to go with it. I give that specific example to more generally say, when I hit those corner cases, I feel a lot more comfortable believing that I've really hit a corner case and that there isn't some obscure rule on page 422 of a book i haven't bought yet that tells me how to handle it and that's maybe actually a gripe i'll offer towards 2e is uh you know i can't find anything in that book and so mm. it's fantastic mm-hmm. it's fantastic that there's rules for uh cooking ground up glass into a pot pie i no, it was was it a shepherd's <laughs> pie or a cottage pie i can't remember at this moment
2: i don't think i specified
0: okay no it's it's probably (laughs) in particular if you want to see the shepherd's pie glass recipe you got to go to page 222 and that's where (laughs) you'll find it you'll find the cause of it or uh, the the impact of it as a as a gm it actually bothers me worse to know that there's probably obscure rules that handle all of these cases that i'm just missing because then i feel like i didn't study enough to come to the game and run it for you because i should have anticipated that
2: you sociopaths would put ground up glass in somebody else's food <laughs> and that is <laughs> that is exactly the trade-off that you make between these different styles of games like pathfinder D 3x like you have rules for just about everything but if you find something that there's no official rules for it's like what do i do i have not been equipped with tools to handle these situations which are slightly outside of the rules whereas fifth edition is like the rules cover less things, but you have that solid, sturdy framework to figure out the answer on like uh, fifth edition. Somebody says, yes, I'm going to put ground up glass in this guy's food. You're going to say, okay, uh, I'm going to say this is a constitution save. If the person fails, they'll be poisoned for some duration of time and they might take some amount of damage. I'm like that's, that's a perfectly fine answer. And you can just come up with that on the spot. Great. Uh, pathfinder second edition like there there is an abundantly fair written like you can go look up in the book like this is exactly what it does exactly how to handle this situation but if the situation is slightly different you're on your own and there's you know generally few tools to help you fill in the gaps
1: i think there's both positives and negatives to both ways of doing things i think uh with the way that 5e has chosen to do things it allows the dms to be more creative and take more ownership over their particular game. But it also means that if something is unbalanced or something doesn't go the way the players want, then you're the one that blame. Uh, whereas with uh, something like Pathfinder where there's rules for written for almost anything, uh, the downside is, is that you have to do a lot of research <laughs> and you have to have this encyclopedic knowledge of all of the rules. Uh, but if the players think something's unfair or they don't like it, you can just be like, "It's not me; it's, it's the rules." That's what it says in the book. Right here.
2: Let's just right uh we'll, we'll just uh, towards the end of the edition, we'll publish one book that has all of the rules questioned rolled up. We'll call it the Rules cyclopedia. <laughs> It'll be five hundred pages, and no one will know that it exists. Congratulations! You're now D and D three uh-huh
0: so th- th- this this, <laughs> this is advice we've given in the past but i want to give it one more time here because i think it's really applicable and what i'm about to say it works for 5e or pathfinder 2 it works for the situation where the rule does exist and for the place where it doesn't if you have to make a decision like uh, you know okay again murder hobos and the ground up glass is going in the shopkeeper and we're never going to see the shopkeeper again Feel free to make the decision. It's like, this just kills them. You murder the shopkeeper. Congratulations, you sociopaths. And I reserve the right. You know, I'm going to think about this after the session long and hard. I'm probably going to talk to my therapist about this. And then in the future, I might rule this differently. And I think generally, when you're looking at a rule situation where it's like, okay, I can imagine this being something you might abuse quickly making a decision to let the game go, because ultimately the impact in the moment isn't going to be super impactful. But setting the expectation that, hey, after the session, I'm actually going to look into this a little bit more. I'm going to see if I can find a stricter rule that exactly applies. And I may come back and tell you, hey, in the future, I'm going to rule this a different way. That's a great way to keep the story going because you're not expecting this to be super impactful. You're kind of just letting it ride and letting, letting everything move forward. And then you can come back later and you can say something more intelligent. That gives you time between this session and the next session to go look through all the rules for PF2 to find the thing that exactly matches. Or at least to make sure that you're going to be more consistent, that you won't have something breaking. Vice versa, if it is super impactful, if it's at that moment, I think still being comfortable, kind of, you know, this is meant to be fun, this is meant to have, let folks have fun. If there's ambiguity in the rules, and there's something that is ultimately not going to break your story, And let everybody have a fantastic time. Just just do it. Do it. All hail the leisure Illuminati. I'm Randall James.
2: Really going (laughs) to mess with with producer Dan on that one. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, Dan.
0: (laughs) I'm Randall James. You'll find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I'm Tyler Kamstra. Uh, you'll find me at the bottom of the pit trap on RPGbot.net, Facebook and Twitter, RPG, B-O-T, D-O-T, NET and Patreon.com slash RPGbot. Uh,
1: I'm Ash Eli. You can follow me on Twitter at Graven Ashes. I am currently on uh, uh, StartPlaying.Games, though I have been informed that people can't find me, so I'm working on fixing that, so bear with me. <laughs> but if you're from the future, look for them now. And you'll find them <laughs> on <Start Playing laughs> as. A-S-H space E-L-Y.
0: If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGbot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email... Podcast at RPGBot.net or message us on Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free podcast episodes, early access to RPGBot.content, polls for future content, and access to the
2: RPGBot.discord. You'll find us at Patreon.com slash RPGBot. Dan pops in against the black background and I'm just like... I know. I I see a little silhouette of a man.
0: (laughs) Gotta push, gotta bush, gotta <laughs> yeah. got do the Fandango.